The Grazadio School of Business and Management at Pepperdine University proudly presents the Dean's Executive Leadership Series. This podcast invites top business practitioners and thought leaders to share their view on the real world of business. Hello and welcome. My name is Rick Gibson. I am the Associate Vice President for Public Affairs here at Pepperdine University. And I'm joined today by Dr. Linda Livingstone, who's the Dean of the Grazadio School of Business and Management. Welcome, Linda. Well, thank you, Rick. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, the Dean's Executive Leadership Series is off to a terrific start. Uh, tell us how things have gone so far. We started in October with Randy Pond, who was the Executive Vice President of Operations for Cisco Systems. We hosted that in Northern California, had a great discussion about innovation. And now we start the new year off with Deborah Nelson, also in the IT area at Hewlett Packard Company, where she is Chief of Staff, Enterprise Sales, Marketing, and Strategy, and really uh, helped lead their $54 billion enterprise business. Well, excellent. We look forward to that conversation. Let me invite our listeners then to just to sit back and enjoy this conversation with Deborah Nelson. Well, it's good to have everyone with us today for this podcast from our Dean's Executive Leadership Series, and I'm pleased today to have with us Deborah Nelson, who's the Chief of Staff of Enterprise Sales, Marketing, and Strategy for Hewlett Packard, uh, one of the probably most renowned entrepreneurial firms in this country. So, Deb, it's wonderful to have you with us. I'm very pleased to be here. So, Deb, you have been with Hewlett Packard for 20 years, which in some ways now is a little unusual for people to be with a company for that long uh, without changing along the way. But So, can you share with our audience a little bit about your career trajectory, how you got to HP, and what about that has kept you there for 20 years and the different positions you've been in? Sure. So, yes, I've been at HP for over 20 years, and one of the things that I just love about our industry, technology, is it's very fast-paced and changing, and HP certainly has changed a lot over that time frame as well. And I think when you have a career at a large company, you really need to take advantage of the global nature of the company, the diversity of business models you can be exposed to. And so I have worked in different parts, you know, I've worked at a, in a global level, I've worked at a regional level in the Americas and in EMEA, Europe, and always in sales and marketing roles in lots of different businesses. And, you know, I figure I probably would have had to work before between 8 to 12 different companies mm-hmm. to get the same kind of experience and exposure to customers, markets, business models that I have at HP. So when you started with HP over 20 years ago, did you sort of have that plan? This is where I'm going, where I want to be in 20 years? Or was it just something that sort of evolved as you kind of went through your uh, roles in the company? I wish I could say it was all a big master plan, but that's that's not exactly not exactly what happened. Uh, no, I, I thought I would work for HP for, you know, a few years, get some experience and move on to something else. But, uh, you know, HP kept offering me really interesting assignments that kept me learning. And I think that's a, a, a very important to always be continuously learning in your career and and broadening your experiences. And so, no, I kind of look back and I'm kind of shocked that it's been that long <laughs> because it's, it's gone by in a blink of an eye. It, those years fly by and okay. faster the longer uh, we are around. Okay. Uh, so your title, sta- uh, Chief of Staff of Enterprise Sales, Marketing, and Strategy, that's a really like big, broad title. So can what exactly does that mean that your responsibilities are and 
give us a little more insight on uh, what type of job that is and what role you play at HP. Sure, sure. So at HP we have three major businesses. The uh, imaging and printing, and many people are familiar with that part of the business, um, hopefully in your home with the consumer right. uh, printer. And then also our PC business, mm-hmm. again. And then the third business is enterprise business, and that's the part that I'm working in. And that's really all of the uh, servers, storage, networking, the infrastructure for companies to run their business, the software that manages that, and then all of the services around it. It's the largest business at HP and um, about over about half of the revenue. Mm-hmm. And my job is to essentially help drive the business across sales and marketing inside of the enterprise business. So I work for the executive vice president mm-hmm. who runs all of sales and marketing for the enterprise business. And my role is to essentially make sure that we're driving across all of the initiatives that we have, that we're operating as a team to kind of manage and keep the, uh, keep the sales and marketing engine running, mm-hmm. so to speak. A big job with all that you're responsible for. You know, one of the things is I was reading a little bit more about HP. Um, the company's gotten lots of recognition in the last couple of years with regard to uh, what they're doing in regard to sustainability and green. Uh, Newsweek ranked you number one in its 2009 green rankings of America's 500 largest corporations. You were the, uh, at the top of the Corporate Responsibility Magazine's 100 Best Corporate Citizens list in 2010. And then Fortune lists you among their top 50 most admired companies and one of the first or second typically in the computer industry. So how does that piece of what HP does impact what you do in enterprise sales and how has that changed your focus in recent years given the big emphasis on sustainability and green right now? So HP has had since 1957 a corporate objective around uh, global citizenship. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was Bill and Dave, our founders, right. got together with the senior leaders and said, you know, we really need to have a core value of our company be to give back to the community. And part of that is mm-hmm. environmental stewardship. So part of the reason that we are um, have made so much progress is really kind of in our DNA, mm-hmm. right? It's sort of just how we do things. Part of the founding Ex- and history of the company. Exactly. Sure. Exactly. And you know, so it's always been there. We've had a recycling program since 1987. We have had a design for the environment since 1992. So really teaching our engineers how to think about as they're designing products to really, you know, use the right materials, make them energy efficient, that kind of thing. Um, so, but how it's affected now in the enterprise business, I mean, we've seen over the past, you know, probably six years, more and more demand from customers to say, you know, what are your programs? And they're kind of an ante to even do business Hmm. because companies, um, and particularly in the enterprise business, we work with small and medium business, but also large, other large corporate entities. Hmm. And, you know, they're all worried about their reputation. They have a similar goal around social responsibility. And so part of their requirements are really to do business with companies who have that same set of values and have been working at it. And so our tr- there our corporate commitment and our track record really make a big difference. Mm-hmm. Because you work in a worldwide uh, market, do you see that interest in sustainability and green uh, vary dramatically in different places in the world, or how is that evolving regionally around the world? So it is different in different parts of the world, definitely. Um, 
you know, more of, uh, you know, it's much more top of mind, like, mm-hmm. for example, in Europe than right. necessarily in, in Asia. Mm-hmm. Um, but customers, you know, but more, but the world is really global. So, <laughs> Very much so. Um, some of those differences are, you know, um, blurring right. as time really goes by. So, sure, there is regional differences. We always have to be sensitive to that. But um, because, you know, like, for example, our suppliers that we work with are, you know, we have 700 production suppliers mm-hmm. for our supply chain. Um, they're global, and we hold them to the same environmental standards, mm-hmm. you know, even though they're really all over the world. Right. You know, one of the things, I was reading a, a summary of a keynote address you gave to the EMS group last year, and one of the things you commented on there was that uh, marketing today is no longer just about the four P's, product, price, place, and promotion. Uh, That product, for instance, has evolved to become more about consumer preferences. And you're quoted in this as saying it's not about what what could we sell, it's about what should we sell. And that promotion, too, has evolved from a push strategy to a participation model, a two-way communication that invites customers into the conversation. So how do you invite customers into the conversation? I mean, you're a huge company worldwide doing, you know, small, medium, large companies. That's a huge undertaking, and I expect a very huge shift in marketing strategy for the company. So where do you even begin to do that, and what are some inroads that you're making in that regard? Well, this is where, um, you know, technology really helps us because uh, technology by really having great information about our customers Mm -hmm. allows us to really personalize how we interact with them. Mm -hmm. And certainly social media also is just a huge opportunity. It's, you know, a great marketing tool because it is that two-way dialogue. It's no longer about, you know, us, you know, sort of shouting things and hoping someone hears. And so um, we've had a very active uh, social media program where we have... You know, the experts in particular areas participating Mm -hmm. in different forums, blogging, um, and really working directly with customers. And then the technology today to really allow us to understand what customers are interested in just by what their activity is Mm -hmm. on the web and then be able to offer them the right kinds of, you know, ads, promotions, Mm -hmm. um, whatever the right offer is for them at that particular time. And so, again, technology has really enabled a lot of that personalization, even though, you know, yes, we are a large company. Well, the other thing this article talked about was that some of, one group that you're having to do some of the blogs is your engineers that are actually doing the design mm-hmm. and understand yeah. the intricacies of it. Um, did, did it take any convincing to get people in the organization to be comfortable with engineers being kind of the face and front out there who probably normally weren't used to that, probably hadn't been trained to do that. And frankly, you lose a lot of control over your message to some extent. So how have you, you know, did it take some salesmanship internally to get people to be willing to do this? And then how have you sort of managed it uh, as you try to kind of manage the message as well? So uh, first of all, we anyone who's going to participate in the social mm-hmm. media, we do have a training and a, mm-hmm. a, you know, a code of conduct. So to really remind people that they're um, speaking on behalf of the company and so to make sure that they understand what, you know, our position is um, and then certainly offer their opinion, but, you know, to be really clear about that. So we do do that training. The other thing is that, you know, we'll we'll put, you know, our engineers in front of customers Mm -hmm. in briefings and this is just putting them in front of customers in a different forum. Mm -hmm. Sure. And so um, it wasn't hard for 
from a perspective of getting the engineers engaged in it because they want to have a dialogue mm-hmm. and they want to talk to customers. Sure. They want to hear what the issues are, make their products or services or software better. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was really the salesmanship, if you were, was to help the organization understand that this was a time commitment and right. that this had to be built into their job description. They need to be measured mm-hmm. on this. Um, that this is just as important as you know attending other kind of customer forums that might be face-to-face. Mm-hmm. That this was, you know, just as, in fact, in many times, mm-hmm. uh, more, you know, having more impact. Right. And a much more personal way. way to reach out in absolutely. some ways. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, yes, it's been a change, but, um, you know, again, I, th- I think HP is, is actually pretty good at change. So. <laughs> Which is great to hear in a company as large and, and as global mm-hmm. as HP is. So, well, and what's also interesting about that, and my background is organizational behavior. So, what's interesting about that is when you do that kind of a change, the systemic impacts it has on the performance review system, on Absolutely. how people are evaluated, even how you have to train them, and frankly, probably the way you have to distribute their workload. That's right. Uh, so you have to be very thoughtful as you implement these kinds of changes, even though it may seem like a minor thing. No, no, it for, has. For the huge impact it has across the organization in other areas. That, that's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. And make and But that's what we wanted to do, particularly with the social media, was to make it systemic Mm-hmm. And so you do have to make sure that you really understand the impact of all these so that you're making it sustainable. Yeah. Well, obviously, the, the last couple of years have been interesting in both the U.S. and world economies. And, uh, you know, we're all fairly hopeful that things are beginning to look better. But as you kind of look across the world stage, and particularly on the enterprise side where you're most familiar, um, are you seeing hopeful signs out there in terms of what's going on in the economy, both domestically and internationally, that give you a sense that we're really coming out of this in a sustainable way that will help us get back on track with business uh, and employment and other things? Um, so, you know, we're seeing the same signs other people are mm-hmm. seeing that in general, you know, things look um, you look fairly promising. I mean, I'm not an economist, right. so I can't really comment <laughs> over, you know, all. But, you know, not all markets are recovering at the same right, pace, sure. and I think we've, you know, heard that and seen that. Um, but I think this, the signs are there. It's not going to be overnight, but mm-hmm. it's, it's, it seems to be trajectory the right way. Well, we're all hopeful mm-hmm. that that's the case. And I'm beginning to hear more, much more of that this year than I heard even six months or mm-hmm. uh, a year ago. So we're, we're all certainly anticipating that. Uh, this series that we do, the Dean's Executive Leadership Series, does uh, what we're trying to do is expose people to really exceptional leaders that are doing interesting things in a lot of different industries. But I always like to talk to our guests about kind of their leadership style and their mm-hmm. way of thinking about leadership. And you said you've been in a lot of different areas of HP. Talk a little bit about uh, kind of your philosophy of leadership and, and how you go about leading the team that you work with in a way that uh, hopefully leads them to be very effective in what they're doing and to make a real impact for the organization. So I think the first part is to really be, you know, have a bold vision and invent the future. Um, you want to paint a vision of, of where the organization is going and why they want to be a part of that. And that passion is very contagious and that will really fuel um, you know, what people do and how they accomplish their goals. The second thing is to be able to um, recruit absolutely the best people. That's very critical. Um, the best people will want to work with the best people and they'll hire absolutely great teams. And when you're building that team, to really think about diversity from the standpoint of diversity of experience, diversity of perspective, because that's going to 
make the organization stronger and have the best outcome overall. Mm -hmm. I also think it's important to always be willing um, to listen and to learn Mm -hmm. that, you know, you never stop learning and people are going to have new ideas and new ways of doing things and to be open to Mm -hmm. that and to be willing to, you know, listen both to obviously employees, but also to customers. They're really going to give you the right signals for where you, what you need to be doing next or where areas you need to improve. Uh, that's, you know, really critical. And then, you know, I'm a big believer in that you work hard, uh-huh. uh, but you play hard. That, that, that balance is really important and that if you have a rich and a meaningful personal life, that makes you a much more compassionate leader. And, you know, family and kids also always kind of keep you grounded in what's really important. I definitely find that to be the case. (laughs) So that's always really helpful. That's good. Uh, Our mission in the business school talks about developing value-centered leaders and advancing responsible business practice. And you've touched a little bit. Some of the things you just mentioned have certainly a strong values base to them. But are there any other, you know, sort of values that you hold um, very dear that really guide you as you face difficult decisions or... Uh, interesting opportunities that, that help you when you're having to make decisions that you sort of say, you know, here's the line in the sand. Uh, are there two or three values that are particularly critical to you? Well, I have a, you know, I, I often talk about, you know, do what's right because it's right. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, uh, most of the, you know, as leaders, most of the most important decisions and most sometimes most difficult decisions involve people Mm -hmm. and the ability to deal with those in a very straightforward, honest, candid way is the way that is going to be most respectful Mm -hmm. of the person and that they will feel most respected. And I think that has really helped me throughout my Mm -hmm. career um, to, you know, just have that strong internal moral compass Mm -hmm. and stick with that. And work for a company that endorses that. <laughs> well, that's always important. And that, you know, in an MBA program, uh, we always have you know organizational behavior classes, classes that teach people how to work with individuals and lead teams and people. Uh, but I do think it's unless you've been in that kind of position, what you said is exactly true. The most challenging situations you're almost always going to face have to deal with individuals in the organization, Absolutely. and uh, you certainly can learn about that in theory in the classroom. Uh, but having, you know, until you actually do it and deal with it, uh, it, the reality of that doesn't hit and probably doesn't even help you understand why you had to learn all those things when you were in school. That's right. That's yeah. right. No, it's the, the practicality of the, um, the situation is, yeah. yeah. But really counts. That's right. Really exactly. Yeah. The so, other thing, I was going to just know, add ahead. to that, that the, the other thing I think is to not be afraid to take risks. Mm-hmm. Don't always take what is perceived to be the safe choice. Um, you know, now you always have to weigh the cost and right. the, you know, the upside and downside of those risks. But I think being willing to take risks is, you know, also going to be what a good leader is really about because the organization will really grow and change if you're trying some new things and not just always doing it the same old way. And then being in an organization that gives you the freedom That's right. to take, you know, calculated risks yes. and know that sometimes they're not going to turn out the way you would hope right. that they would. That's yeah. right. Yeah, and, and, and then making public even when they don't turn out, but what you learn from it. Mm-hmm. Because you always learn. Exactly. And, so, and then that helps the whole organization then say, oh, it's okay to take a risk. Right. The right risks. Yeah. So as you kind of look to the future, you've been there 20 years, you know, over the next 5 to 10 years... What really excites you about what you're doing, and what are you really looking forward to um, in the next few years in terms of your work? 
Well, I think, uh, you know, the fact that technology is just always changing. You know, you almost don't know what's right around the uh-huh. corner. Um, you know, I look at, I spend an awful lot of time with customers in my role, um, and, you know, we spend a lot of time taking them through our HP labs and seeing just what some of the new technologies are that are coming out and, and how it can really help businesses, the planet, mm-hmm. people to really take advantage of, you know, the opportunities that there are is just, you know, exciting to me. Well, and you're in an industry, as you say, where there will probably always be new and interesting opportunities. Always. <laughs> always. No lack of uh, new things to be looking at and opportunities ahead. So. That's right. Well, Deb, we really appreciate you being here and uh, know that those that have listened will find great insights from this. And we certainly wish you the best in the work that you're doing. Well, thank you. I've enjoyed it. Well, that certainly was an insightful interview. Well, we learned a lot about uh, the global IT industry from Deborah Nelson, and I think it was very relevant given uh, what's going on in the world economy today and the importance of global businesses like Hewlett-Packard. Yes, yes. Well, uh, tell us uh, who is next in the series. We'll be joined in March on St. Patrick's Day by Kate Mitchell, who's the Managing Director of Scale Venture Partners and Chairman of the National Venture Capital Association. So this is a great one for folks interested in the venture capital industry. Definitely. Well, we look forward to that. Uh, We invite our listeners, if they have more interest in the Dean's Executive Leadership Series, to visit our website. That is bschool.pepperdine.edu slash Dells. And you can learn more about this series and download podcasts from there. Thanks for listening. True leaders inspire others around them to achieve, and leadership is a quality that we can help you develop and master. I'm Dr. Gary Mangifico, Associate Dean at Pepperdine University's Grazia Deal School of Business and Management. Our evening and weekend MBA program is designed exclusively for working professionals like you. Our curriculum, faculty, and highly collaborative learning environment give you a deeper understanding of your own unique leadership style. And though our regional campuses are only a short distance from your home or your work, you'll travel further than you ever dreamed possible. To learn more about our evening and weekend MBA program at our Encino, Irvine, West L.A., Westlake Village graduate campuses or our new Santa Barbara location, text INVEST to 30364. Pepperdine's Grazia Deal School of Business and Management. Master the leader in you.